0: There's another one you don't want to hear.
1: Frankly, is it July?
2: Right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm very excited to be talking with the Milwaukee duo 1913. In the band, we have cellist Janet Schiff along with percussionist and returning guest of the show, Victor DiLorenzo. The band is about to release a brand new song, Cello and Drums Forever, and that is going to be coming out, I guess, like within a week here, so very, very soon. And uh, we're going to talk about the new song, 1913, and a whole lot more. So, uh, Victor and Janet, how you both doing?
3: Doing great. Hello to the world.
2: Hello,
1: Anthony. Nice to be joining you again on the radio
2: airwaves. I've I've been very excited. It feels like uh, I feel like it was so long ago, but really it was just I guess back in September. Not uh, not terribly long, but I also feel like you've been you've been quite busy since the last time I talked to you. And uh, and I remember mentioning that last time we talked. I'm like, I, what I like about you is you keep busy. You always seem like you have something going on, and. Uh, Shh. Like, like I mentioned, you know, 1913, you have the uh, I think even more you're staying busy with that. You have this uh, new song coming out. I know you guys have uh, been playing a few shows around Milwaukee lately. How have uh, like how have the shows been lately? I know. I know you played Janet. Didn't it? you guys played like a birthday show? I know you played a few others. How have the uh, shows been going lately?
3: Right. Well, in reverse chronological order, we played my birthday show at Anadyne in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in a really trendy neighborhood. It's uh, coffee and um, they serve wine and everything, too. It was um, a full house. I saw a lot of familiar faces, but a whole bunch of new ones, too. We did one long set instead of doing two sets um, so that's kind of something we're trying out um, with uh new shows we have um so we just played a really long, beautiful set. Um, everything was effortless and um, you know, the notes were almost playing themselves. I love it when nice. it gets like that. Yeah, it was great. And it's always so good to be up on stage with my best friend, Victor, you know, then we played the Jazz Estate before that. That's Milwaukee's like premier jazz club. And um, it's one of our home um home venues. It's a block away from the past office, which is um, a studio we've been working at. That's Um, my studio here mm -hmm. in
1: Milwaukee, the past office. Formerly Sympathetic (laughs) Muffler. That's a great name. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, the the show that we did at the Jazz Estate was my birthday show, and that happened happened right at the end of October. So we've got a couple... Birthday shows that we did, and then for now we're just concentrating on finishing our next full-length album with producer Josh Smith. Uh, we've been working with Josh on some new material, and one of the pieces which we just mentioned uh, is called "Cello and Drums Forever," and that's going to be released on January 28th. So that's coming up pretty soon, but uh, it's a it's a new take on the recording process for us normally janet and i co-produce the records and i engineer here at my studio but for this particular bout of music we decided to work with with josh so he's handling all the technical aspects and also helping with arrangements and putting together just the sonic qualities of the music which is a great relief to me because i can just function as a as a drummer percussionist this time around, and and I don't have to have all that extra responsibility on my shoulder.
3: Mm -hmm. Josh has a really neat um, sensibility with with technology, too, in a a different way. And he's got some amazing uh, programs um, in his uh, studio um, called The Conservatory and um so it, we're getting a new perspective too we're getting someone else to help produce this and it's really turning out uh, wonderfully as as you can hear from cello and drums forever yeah. which is just been a ballad that you know victor and i wrote it started out as a cell phone recording um uh, so the source recording was me just plucking out a rhythm uh with my four parakeets in the background <laughs> um, and i sent it to josh um and he uh started making the baseline and so then um he synthesized the birds um and took oh, wow. so he, he yeah he separated them out of the uh, the baseline because they were definitely combined somehow so he has the technology that you know i'm having a hard time even describing it sounds because- amazing Yeah, it's a great studio, so we're really uh, honored because he's quite an accomplished um, uh, sound designer and composer.
2: And
1: what happened, uh, the next phase was that Josh sent me the rough track, and then I applied uh, drum set here at my studio, the past office, and then I sent the track back to Josh, and then he started working from there. So, um, of course, it's all COVID recording world now. And instead of me bringing my drums over to Josh's studio, I can do stuff remotely here and then just send him the information and then he can mix it together and, and uh, apply whatever kinds of reverbs or compression or limiting or, or whatever he wants to do in the technical world. Mm-hmm. And we found so far it's, it's been very successful. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what, what happens with the next material because At the start of this project, I had assembled a bunch of different drum tracks, just wild drum tracks that I had recorded here. And then I sent them to Josh and Janet, and they started uh, daydreaming about what was going to be on the tracks with the drum tracks. So. Janet started fashioning different cello parts. And and if you listen to the recording, you can see that there's literally a cello orchestra happening. There are so many different tracks of cello, uh, which gives it a very wide berth of sound. And also it just is leading us in a new direction too, because a lot of our previous recordings are, are pretty much just trying to capture what we do live in the studio where this time around the studio is really being utilized as another instrument.
2: That That's like really neat too. Cause like, I, I think with, with uh, the band, I mean, just being a two piece, I mean, for one, the way you play with sound and I feel like the way that even you play your instruments are probably different versus being in, you know, like a three or four piece band. And like, I mean, and that, that has been interesting too, because being so just very much like, it's all in house. I mean, you write the songs, you record them, like, it's basically you like you two are 1913. So, I mean, having that, having that like outside influence in there, this is, was this the first time you've ever had kind of like anyone else working, working on 1913 at all with you?
1: Well, we've had other musicians uh, guest with us, uh, live and also in the studio, but this is the first time we've handed over the reins to someone else and, and, and let, uh, and let Josh. Well, that's that's true. My son uh, Malachi, he produced a couple tracks for us uh, a few years back, but this is the first time we're working with someone in a in a full capacity as a as a producer for a full length record.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's so neat. The uh, yeah, that that has to be, and it it has to be cool too. Like like being in a. Uh, I mean, because I'm, I'm sure both of you. I mean, I know Victor. Obviously, you've played in a uh, bands that have you know more than more than two people. Is there like a Is there like a freedom do you feel like with having, with just having two of you kind of doing everything? Like, do you think there's, is it easier to convey ideas? Is it easier to get things done? Like, I mean, being, being a two piece as you are versus, you know, being in a quartet or a trio or something, you know, I mean, there's some advantages to that. Oh, yeah.
3: And, and our whole, our whole package fits in my Volkswagen. That's why I like (laughs) that. Even better. So, um, Yes. So Victor, Victor explains it like this. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, if one of us doesn't agree, it doesn't happen. So we have to have uh unanimity. How do you say that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know what you, I, I, I know what you're saying. Unanimity or I don't know. I don't know. know,
3: I, don't know. <laughs> I just I just took a red eye from Hawaii. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs>
1: um so it's it's very easy yeah. when it comes down to just two people having their opinion um and whether or not something happens if if we're not in total agreement at first then it's just a matter of convincing the other person or or just deciding that maybe there's a different way to go about a decision but it, it certainly is a lot easier
2: than being in a trio let me tell you that <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, being, you know, I, I want to get back to like, you know, like we were just saying, I mean, you guys have been playing a lot of shows lately. And I feel like I feel like you guys are always playing shows, which is great. Like, it seems like you're very much a live band and like I, you're very much uh, a group that I would like to see live. Because just listening to it, I'm like that it seems like it works best in a live setting. Did you did you start playing like out right away when 1913 formed? Or I mean, did that take a while before you started playing out a lot?
3: Oh, we play
1: right away. Well, Janet's been playing in one form or another of, of 1913 for at least, what, 15 years, I imagine. Oh, wow. It's going on. Like,
3: we've been...
1: Well, we've 15 been like, years, yeah. janet, Janet's janet been uh, the principal uh, force behind 1913, because 1913, of course, is, is the year that Janet's cello was built in, in Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, But I I didn't come into the scene until a little bit over a decade ago when one afternoon, one Saturday afternoon, Janet called me and wanted to know if I wanted to come sit in because she was having a performance at a place called the Circle A that evening. And I had met Janet previously on some free jazz shows that we were both doing. We were invited by a friend of ours, uh, Jason Vittlespa, to, to come in and perform. I was playing full drum set and Janet was playing cello, of course. And I decided uh, when Janet invited me that it, it sounded exciting enough that I would come down. And even though I didn't know the material, I figured, well, I could probably at least fake my way through it. And when I got there, I saw that there was another drummer there. So then I was a little bit more relieved thinking that, oh, good, at least I can kind of hide behind what this guy is doing. And we played the show. The show was very successful. The three of us had a blast. And afterwards, I talked to the other drummer. And I said, I'm so glad that you were here because I didn't know what I was going to do. And at least I could follow you. And he looked at me with this dumbfounded look on his face. And he said, well, I've never played this stuff either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so Janet pulled a fast one on both of us and just invited us out of the blue and we were just reacting to whatever she was presenting us and it turned out to be successful and then from that point on we played quite a few shows as a trio but then it got to the point where Janet and I decided that it was going to work out better if it just re- reduced down to the two of us so the trio became a duo and then that's uh, how we've been playing ever since.
2: That's, uh, that's really neat. I mean, Janet, you'd, you'd have some faith in, in them to just have them kind of come down and, and play like that.
3: Hey, that's chamber rock. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, remember when we were playing in Chicago and they, they dubbed us heavy cello rock from Milwaukee? <laughs> so it was kind of cool.
2: Heavy cello. Know, so, Monsters yeah. of cello rock. <laughs>
3: right. But yeah, I mean, Victor and I, have, you know, as someone, um, our friend, rest in peace, um, Mark, uh, Professor Mark Manti said that 1913 was um, distilled down to its true essence, which is just me and Victor and my, you know, hundreds of cellos I'm playing. And, it, you know, people are very surprised when they come up to us and they they might hear us before they see us. Right and performances sometimes in you know we've played um, some big uh, street performances in Milwaukee to uh, Bastille Days and Summerfest, so people might be drawn to us thinking they come up they they only see the two of us but you know one of the tricks is that the, that looping uh, pedal is how I pull off what we do live you know or in the studio. So, um, I'm using these looping pedals now. I've got one that has three looping pedals combined, plus now a harmonizer in my chain. Um, I, I play through, um, bass amps and, um, you know, I have a, a pickup and a, a microphone near the bridge, you know. So we're, we've got this, and at all, you know, even with everything that Victor plays, we're portable, and, you know, we just we set up, we play, we have a blast, and, we, you know, we uh, make a lot of sound for just two people on stage.
1: It's very unassuming when you see the stage set up, and I, I think a lot of people are probably confused having heard some of the recordings to think, well, how can they transfer this in a live setting? Because as Janet mentioned, she just has her cello. She has a looping pedal and a small bass amp. I usually play with just one snare drum, one floor tom and one cymbal. And then we have two vocal mics, but the sound that we produce really is quite a full complement, And, um, that's one of the, the magic aspects of, of what we do together is that we can create such a big, high-fidelity sound from such little stage equipment. And, and that's, that's, I think, a very strong point for us. And it also uh, helps to get us in and out of the gigs fast.
0: Yeah, you
3: never know. <laughs> You've got to make a quick exit. Maybe. <laughs> but some of these super fans of Victor's, you know, they kind of, they have a certain look. They kind of glaze over, yeah. <laughs> and and then he, you know, he gives autographs and stuff. They they'll take pictures. They try to sometimes they'll crop me out, but
1: um. <laughs> well, a lot of times too, the sound engineers when we show up at a gig we'll load in the equipment and then they'll say where well, are you going to bring in the rest of the stuff now <laughs> and we just say no I'm sorry this this is what we have and then they're very excited because it makes their job so much easier.
2: just nice and easy. yeah that that does sound like a uh, like a pretty easy setup and I mean I got to yeah. say too like I've only had the pleasure of uh, hearing you guys live like on YouTube so like I haven't been able to see it live live but I will say watching videos Like the sound that you fill out with just two members is amazing. I mean, it really, like, I mean, and I want to get into that in a little bit too later, just playing with dynamics, because I'm sure with like the two of you trying to fill sound with, I mean, even with the, even with loop pedals, you know, that, that's still, which, I mean, I got to ask too, Janet, is that almost like playing a whole nother instrument on stage? Because it sounds like you're doing, almost I don't know programming is the right word but like it sounds like with the loop pedals and all that other stuff on stage you got to do a little more thinking than just playing the cello
3: yeah it's gotten after it's only hard for about 10 years you know (laughs) um I those the one my setup now is very instinctive for me and it's just part of my right leg um and so let's say I'm playing cello I'm doing pizzicatos. I'm looping. I'm bowing. I'm looping, and then I'm singing and playing live too. On top of that, Jeez. yes, I'm doing a lot. And sometimes I I used to kind of short circuit.
2: <laughs> That's not but good. I've,
3: I've worked it all out, and um, we've got to, yeah. I'm able to do it now. And like I was saying, this performance we did, um, my birthday show, which was like a couple days before or after my birthday. Um, just was so effortless and felt so good in that jazz estate gig too where everything was flowing just the way it really needs to
1: well it's gotten to the point where like a good actor on stage you memorize the words so they don't mean anything anymore and then you can present a performance that comes from your body and soul and it's the same way with, with trying to get this music across We're we're so instinctive now that we can we can depend on certain things of what we do because we've done them so much that it's almost second nature but at the same time that also opens us up to improvisation so so we never have to feel as though we're doing stuff by rote per se uh, even though there are structures to the to the pieces that we play for the most part there's always some some bit of jeopardy still left within the pieces, so, so it's not just the same performance every time you see us. Um, it's we, interesting. Do, we don't really have a set list either. We, we usually just work off the cuff depending on what the audience uh, gives us back.
2: It's interesting you bring that up because actually my next question was going to be, you know, as we're like talking about playing live and stuff, like if you if you improvised a lot live or if like you tried to keep the pieces like true to recordings. But it sounds like when you go see when you go see 1913 live, you you will play around with things. You'll kind of explore songs a little more than just what's on the record.
3: Well, sure, because if you think about the recording, I can start with about 12 Or 12 or 33 cellos all at once, right? So I build that on stage, live, for people yeah and so
1: yeah, there's nothing pre-recorded about what she's doing it's all it's all handcrafted uh, for the individual audience that we're performing for
2: i'm getting anxiety trying to think about like being up there doing all that <laughs> and programming it correctly and making sure you're like putting it in the right place and everything that's insane it's well, like
1: a record janet's like a, a recording engineer on stage
2: <laughs> really i mean true it, it sounds like it by all means
3: yeah, so I mean, it takes a little while. so all those songs are going to be elongated. There's gonna be um, maybe uh, a gradual buildup of those cello layers. Um, in the recordings, like this this new one, for instance, every single cello has is three cellos to create a cello orchestra so that there's the variance. you know, so sometimes I'm looping, but guess what? I'm even looping when I'm looping. Jeez. you know so i'll i'll play the same thing and loop the same thing over and over instead of looping harmonies because it creates a real full sound and experience and natural sound and i'll i'll do octaves i'll go up an octave i'll go down i can delete those back you know if i do it right otherwise you know victor <laughs> victor will tell you how many times Well, I have to delete, and it takes two seconds to delete and two seconds to re-record. Great for the it's the top top of the line for the foot-based looping pedals. Um, There's some hand, you know, some tabletop ones, some body armor ones, which are kind of cool. But you know, this one works the best for my setup or our setup.
2: That's I mean, that's just insane. It definitely. It definitely seems like something after doing it with time, like maybe it gets easier, but yeah, that's, that's so crazy that like, I mean, you're, you're like a second member really, like in a way you are a trio, like you're kind of two members in a way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the way it usually happens too, Anthony is that when we start out with the first layer, Janet, for the most, most part is, is laying down some kind of a bass figure. And then I try and play the drums in a very straight manner just to lock in with that. So then when we start getting into the different uh, accompanying layers that are being built, I can free up the drumming a little bit more and start to react to what's going on with what Janet is, is recording. And the, the end result is that we have a real firm foundation that, that is set down first, but then things can get a little bit more expressive, the more that the piece is developing. And sometimes sometimes, janet will take a little bit of liberty with the structure and i'll go along with her and then other times just because of the nature of what we're doing there might be a little hiccup here or there in the rhythm of what she's doing so then my computer and my mind has to start accommodating those hiccups Mm -hmm. so whether it means that the beat is a little bit shy or it's a little bit before the beat or after the beat i have to accommodate that to make things sound uh groovy to to make it sound like music so i can't just play in a real formulatic real real machine like way i have to be very aware of, of what is being fed to me i mean right
3: yeah essentially he's letting a cello player set the rhythm um, because that's what gets recorded. So he and I work really, really closely on my first loop is the most important. Now, sometimes I am doing drones, though, Victor. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we'll start just really atmospheric and just do drones. And then it's more of a, um, a freeform song, too.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. It like yeah. some, some of the pieces are just outright improvisations that we know. Kind of where we want to get to in the improvisation but it's it's all very freeform and, and uh the, the structure is dictated by how we're feeling that particular evening or or what we had for dinner or how many drinks we had whatever
2: <laughs> have like have either of you really like by the sounds of it 1913 like the way the way you like write for the band and everything seems like it's such a different way then maybe you normally write like I mean, do you do you feel like either of you like have ever written for any other bands the way you do for Nineteen Thirteen? Like the whole process, even like and again going back to that duo thing, how you fill things out, like how things have to work. I mean, it's it, I it's interesting how you do things. I, I don't think I've talked to a band who's like. Like, I love it. It's just interesting. You know, like, do you feel like you have to kind of change your like writing for 1913 as opposed to like, like, if you're writing for other, you know, bands that you've been in?
1: Well, we, we always, we always have the the luxury of cultivating our own uniqueness. And what I mean by that is that we can respond to each other in a very pure immediate fashion because of the way the, the structures are developed. Um, i've never been in another band like this and i always tell people that if you want to hear 1913 you have to hear 1913 because even though there's other duets that maybe are guitar and drums maybe some kind of a looping devices is incorporated it still doesn't really match up to what janet and i do because we're drawing on our own individual influences and also our, our experience of, of playing with other musicians, whether it be in a, a rock context, a country context, uh, classical, jazz, what have you, I and mean, we've, we've had experience experiences with all those different genres of music. So this is the only group I've ever been a part of where I can really call on all that all that experience.
2: That's really yeah. That it it's neat because just like even talking to you about like like writing the songs for 1913, like the the process and the way it goes and everything. It's just, it seems like it's also uses like, like a part of your brain and like a part of creativity that like, like again, you just wouldn't maybe use in a more conventional, like if you're just writing more straightforward, conventional pop songs or something like that, you know, you kind of, I feel like you have to approach these songs a little differently.
3: Well, these are all um, drawn from our experiences. I think Victor kind of summed it up.
1: Um, and the, Janet's also a great writer too. Well, so she sometimes in, brings she brings finished pieces to me as far as chord structures and melodies, and then we flesh it out from there. Mm-hmm. But like I say, the the uh, deciding factor is always what is happening at the moment, because if, every time we play, it's it's handcrafted for that particular audience. There's no pre-recording going on. I'm not necessarily depending on a particular drum pattern every time, Mm. so so it's very organic in that
0: regard,
3: right? And we'll flow into different songs once in a while in a new way as we change our performances and add songs and um, you know if we're feeling a certain way, you know as emotional humans we are we are creatives. Uh, we were neighbors for three-plus years also, um, so we're uh, best of friends and collaborative um, artistic partners, which I'm really proud of all our work we've done. And it's been 12 years, Victor, just so you know.
1: <laughs> 12 husbands?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the math. So he's been, he and I have been working together 12 years and it's been wonderful. We've done hundreds of performances in art venues, uh, like these rock clubs, right? Uh, we've also done, (laughs) um, you know, stuff affiliated with ballet. We've done um, outside gigs that we got paid a lot, but it looked like we were busking. Um, <laughs> you know, just like we've just done so many amazing performances. And right now, you know, we are having to, um, like, r- focus more on the recording. It, it, as much as we've loved all of that, um, the pandemic is real you know and yeah the, the year pre- it's been heartbreaking
1: right the, the year previous we had so many wonderful shows scheduled but because of the plague we had to uh, discard all those shows and now we're trying to to figure out what's going to happen maybe towards the middle of the year maybe we'll get back on some kind of a, a regular performing schedule but for right now the most important thing for janet and i is just to really hunker down and, and finish
2: this record with josh Mm-hmm. i'm i'm definitely excited to uh to hear i mean the the new song if it's any uh indication you're definitely on a uh, a good track for a great record and also i mean like the the interesting thing and, you, and you're right like you know right right now with uh shows the way they are you know we'll have to see but like when shows come back and everything and people you know or even if people are in the milwaukee area and can go see you like what i like is it sounds like When you are live, like not, no show is the same, is what I'm getting from like when you guys are talking. Like, it when you go see 1913, you could go see you three times in a month, and each show sounds like it would probably be a different experience.
1: Well, what we present is not only a music show; it's also a theatrical performance, in that there is a relationship between Janet and I that's very appealing to an audience, and it works on the uh, the time honed combination of, of the boy-girl act. I mean, we, we really use that to our advantage. And even though sometimes other musicians join us, sometimes we fill out our our sound and perform as a quartet where we're accompanied by a bass player, and a keyboard player, so we approximate some, some of the other material that is included in our recordings. But I think people really respond to this idea that janet and i have a friendship and also uh we're quite humorous as as people when we're on stage and i think people find that endearing
2: that's uh yeah that's really neat there's more going to a show like that you know again sometimes sometimes you go and like you'll get a good performance like maybe the music is good but it it, i like i like there's like layers to 1913 like again there's it seems like more than just your conventional uh you know, just show that you're going to or concert that you're going to.
1: But well, we want to come across as human beings that are that are vessels full of emotion. We don't just want to be musicians that get up and play a set that they've done for the last two years. I love that.
2: No, I and and like as someone in the audience seeing that, like I I love seeing that. I think when you're genuine like that, I think it comes out. It you know what I mean. Well, you're really
1: you're really inviting the audience into what you do rather than just presenting something to them that they have to respond to
2: yeah like you're not and like uh, again like with these performances being different it doesn't sound like you go out there and hit cruise control and just kind of you know go through each each show just the same thing it it, it sounds like it almost couldn't be that way you know the way it's no set because
1: up. That, that would be that would be boring for us as well
2: and yeah, I, I and again I like that cuz as performers I feel like watching that watching the performer up there and going okay like they're into it you're getting something out of it too is again I uh I enjoy that. But I want to I want to ask and uh Janet last time I had Victor on I know me and you talked about kind of like what got you into music and everything but Janet I want to talk to you for a second like as far as cello goes is that your first instrument or what what was your first unfortunately,
0: instrument?
3: Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately no. No? Uh no, I drew a picture of what I wanted to play. And my parents bought me a guitar. <laughs> and I've never been so upset. And um so I had to invent my cello with a guitar and a coat hanger uh-huh. and a ruler. I put a ruler <laughs> like <laughs> at the, where you'd attach the strap down at the bottom of the guitar. Uh-huh. I, I taped a ruler on, got a coat hanger, a metal, you know, this was in the, uh, early 80s and it took forever for my parents to realize I wanted cello <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know the word cello because I think I maybe you know I'm, I think I saw Yo-Yo Ma and I'm pretty sure I saw Yo-Yo Ma on channel you know channel 10 in Milwaukee the public the um what do they call it? The public the television station. Yeah. The PBS, Milwaukee PBS. Um, and, um, so then right, I had to wait for three years. I played guitar that way and then finally uh, came up with the word cello and got one real soon and got lessons. And I've been playing ever since. Um, my mom was a classical pianist. My grandmother was, um, um, True performer in Milwaukee's music history. Um, she played silent films um, and then talkies. Then she played um, the streetcars and restaurants and performances. And she was the first um, performer on TV when Milwaukee got TV. Wow. Um, she won a competition. So there was a vote somehow of yeah you know, how did they do this way back when right <laughs> and there, there was a vote uh who do you want to see first on tv and my grandma won the competition so
1: that's amazing
3: it's, yeah and, um, and
1: she was like a contemporary of liberace right and, right didn't she know liberace
3: yeah she was um her friend was mentioned in that liberace um, movie that came out. I have some of her music. So, this was Marguerite Schiff, is my grandma, and her friend was Miss Misbehaved.
1: And I actually. <laughs> that was, was her name, Misbehaved? Yeah. <laughs>
2: that is great.
3: Beatrice. Beatrice Haven. <laughs> yes. And so she was like dating Liberace and is mentioned in that movie. And I have some of her. Oh, that
1: must have been different for Liberace. <laughs> right? Well,
3: well, anyway.
2: That is uh, amazing. But...
3: Yeah, I have some of her sheet music because my grandmother and her would exchange music. But yeah, my grandmother used to also play at some um, yeah famous resorts uh, around the um, North America. You know, down into the Bahamas. To um, later in life, she got a great gig down in the Bahamas playing in the winter.
2: <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's not a bad place to be for the winter time. Mm -hmm. especially getting out of Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, I'm following in her footsteps, but I used to um, take naps under my mom's piano, Um, and she played a lot, and she taught in the house um, also growing up. Um, I'm conservatory trained, but I was always kind of an outlier. Um, uh, Visual difficulties, plus, you know, I like to write my own music. Reading music is... Not one of my favorite things to do, but um, it's just kind of more challenging for me than some people, I think. Um, And so I was always kind of like, always dedicated to the cello itself. But classical was um, a role I tried and um, got through some college in performance of cello. um, But it got a little too difficult. So I actually have my master's of psychology now.
2: Nice. It uh. That was.
3: It was easier for me than getting a master's of music. So, but I also already had a career going for music. You know, so I'm finding a really nice uh, lifestyle here.
2: I feel you like know? at that point too, if you already have the career going, you know what I mean? Like with the degree, like maybe it's nice to have, but like obviously you know what you're doing. If you have a, you know what I mean? Like if you're already like doing it, like I feel like, I feel Mm -hmm. like you're good then.
3: Yeah. And that was right around the time, like when I was getting my bachelor's was, uh, right when I met Victor. So, um, yeah, that has been, um, just such a, just such a joy to work with him all these years and, uh, collaborate, you know?
2: That is, uh, no, that is awesome. And I mean, once you did start playing cello and everything, I know you said like Yo-Yo Ma was probably like the thing that got you uh, into cello. But like once you started playing everything, who were like some early influences for you?
0: Mm.
3: Well, I've always really liked pop and rock music and stuff. Um,
1: so Didn't you really like uh, Pablo Casals?
3: Well, Pablo Casals was kind of someone I felt connected to. He was like in my suzuki books you know they put pictures of him (laughs) so he seems kind of familiar to me or something um and um there's um pierre fournier i think he's an amazing cellist Uh, jacqueline dupree um um let's see oh of course hans christian right Victor's friend. I was just looking at a picture of me and Hans just yesterday. So Hans is um, one of Victor's friends. He's introduced me to this amazing cellist who has a studio also um, up in Sturgeon Bay.
1: Right. And, and Hans is a, <clears throat> a German cellist that uh, I had met up at uh, one of the uh, gatherings of musicians up in, in Sturgeon Bay. Um at the steel bridge music festival and we became fast friends he's got a great studio there and we did some recordings together um uh, hans originally uh, what what he was telling me how he got into more popular music coming out of classical was he was living in los angeles at the time and i believe he was the first bass player in the uh, red hot chili peppers really this, this was like a long time ago before Flea was on the scene. So it's like the beginnings, I think, of, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But uh, I'm not exactly sure why he moved to Wisconsin. But but uh, as I just mentioned, that's where I met him and we became friends. And and we have done uh, a couple of shows, I think, with Hans so far. And we've always threatened to go up to his studio and, and do some recording with him because <laughs> – it was always an idea for me to to have Janet and and Hans play some cello together in a recording setting. Um, so, so that probably might
2: happen sometime be in the future.
3: Yeah, that would be wonderful. Like I say, I was just looking at a picture you took of me and Hans uh, yesterday when I was on the airplane.
2: That's pretty cool. There's a lot of there is a lot of uh, good music that comes out of like Milwaukee. You know, it's one of those. I feel like there's a, there's including in the Midwest. There's a few states. I mean, your neighbors in Minnesota being another where. A lot of great music and a lot of great musicians uh, come from that area. And I think sometimes it's, like, forgotten about.
1: Well, a lot of times in winter, you're trapped inside, so you might as well do something with your time.
2: I was going to – now, I was going to ask you guys that as well because being – I mean, I'm 20 minutes here away from Lake Erie and being in Milwaukee, you got Lake Michigan right there, so you're neither of you are strangers to, like, lake effect snow or those long winters. Like, do you right. – do you feel like either of you write more like do you do you find yourself writing more during like the winter months when it's like, you know, it's a it is normally a good reason to stay in the house and kind of hold up. Like, do you feel like this time of year you end up writing any more than you normally do?
1: Well, writing, of course, but also I look at, at it as a recording season because you are in the house so much that uh, it, it really lends itself to to some concentrated recording. Um. I always enjoy the winters in that regard because it gives me a, a, an excuse, I would say, to to really buckle down and, and get some good recording done, whether it is just recording wild drum tracks just by myself or working on material with Janet or, or working with other great musicians that we have here in Milwaukee. So I, I think just in general, it's a, it's a good season to, to try and and get some work done.
2: I agree with that. How about, how about you for you, uh, Janet? I mean, do you feel like you write any more during like, you know, like that December to like March part of the year?
0: Hmm.
3: No, I think I, I write when I'm going through stuff, um, or like, it's really kind of, I'll wake up with a new song started in my head. Sometimes I like that that's great when it's just kind of given to me as like and then I scan through everything I've ever heard just like did I really write this new thing you know <laughs> so what is this and I offer it to a few people to, hey have you heard this before you know and I'll <laughs> it or something no you know so um it just comes really naturally it comes from nature for me too a lot um Bird sounds sometimes are included. Um, sounds. I'm I'm really into doing. Um, I take I make a lot of field recordings um, of sounds in the environment, um, and we've incorporated some of those into our recordings. Um, and so, um, and just really audio focused. Um, at like uh, Walklight, Victor. One of Victor's favorite songs. We used a field recording right? of, Or it was, oh, it was inspired. It was by, inspired by that. Yeah. It's inspired by a, a crosswalk that uh, talks and it's, you know, a wonderful accommodation for people who are visually impaired and we incorporated it into a song. It's cool. Cause it has a rhythm, you know? So, That's and Victor so cool. was really, yeah, Victor's really open to that. And he loves that song. I'm a little hesitant to play it on stage. He, he has experienced this. Um, because I really love actually what the synthesizer does on that. And I just can't, That that's one that still I'm working on with um, being able to replicate. Or, you know, I, I wanted to touch back on something we were talking about before, which was like, if there's keyboards in the song, right? A lot of times I'll just mimic those parts, you know, that are in a recording, they just the the notes will be there. They'll just be on cello or pizzicato or with a different bowing technique or something, you know, um, to represent uh, those uh, frequencies. You know,
2: that's crazy that you can replicate that. I would never think of uh being you know like a cello to replicate like synths. That's crazy.
3: Oh, it's fun. And, like, that's uh, the reason to get that harmonizer so I can do some more experimentation uh, and and go, like, supersonic. There's I can go eight octaves up and eight eight octaves down.
0: Jeez.
3: And so it's something I'm not going to use all the time, you know, but it's in my chain in case there's a special part or a special song that needs some enhancing.
2: It, I, I want to bring up because you were just talking about like, doing like field recordings and stuff. And something that I, I wrote down, like I feel like in a lot of nineteen thirteen songs, there's like I, I maybe soundscape is the right word for it. Where it's like I feel like it takes you to this, like it puts you in an environment. It kind of puts you in a place a lot like a field recording does. Like when you listen to a field recording, you know it's kind of supposed to bring you wherever you recorded that at, like. So I, I guess in a way you kind of answered it, but I mean, is that, do you feel like that's an intentional part of the 1913, like when writing a 1913 song, that ambiance, that soundscape, that kind of like that environment that you create with it, like, is that something that's intentional or is that just kind of how, you know, like that's just kind of how you write and that's how well, it comes I think out? that,
1: I think Anthony, that's up to the listener. I mean, we, we probably have received the comment more than once that our music is very cinematic And in that way, it does suggest locale. But at the same time, we're not really trying to put it across. Now you're in a basement in, on the east side of Milwaukee. Uh, we're just, we're just playing the music and, and leaving it up to the listener to form their own notions of, of either locale or what kind of feelings that they get from listening to the music. It's, it's very malleable in, in that way. And we enjoy doing that because we never want to hit anybody over the head with our music. We want to invite them in and have them create their own dreams or nightmares, depend- depending <laughs> on what the music suggests to them.
2: I, you know what? That makes sense, though, listening to your music, because there are there, you know, like not not every uh, not every place it takes you is like bright and sunny. You know, I mean, I, and that, 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 that's what I like about it. But I also I think that's interesting. I like I like that idea that you kind of you would rather us by the sounds of it. Let us conjure up what we you know what I mean? Like where it brings us. That's it. You'd rather yeah. each each listener go somewhere different.
3: That's it. Yes. It's so, it's
2: very, um, what is that? Subjective? Mm -hmm. Right. There we go. Yeah. Subjective. Exactly.
1: Open for interpretation. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: Cinematic makes, I, I do like that actually cinematic. I think for, uh, for some of your songs, I, uh, I can see like where they're going with that one. I, I do want to get back to, uh, to, I mean the single at hand here, uh, cello and drums forever. And we kind of talked about, you know, already like it's creation and like writing and everything, but like as far as the beginning of the song versus the uh final product, which people will hear soon, like did it did it change a lot or did it stay pretty true to the like, you know, initial idea for this song?
3: Mm. Well, it's got this um African uh, beat. Um so I was just I was plucking out my bass line. Right, and I sent it to the engineer and um so that um it just started growing and growing and growing so no it's n- there's nothing like the original because the original is this uh, um that re- that little recording <laughs> in <laughs> in my phone it's uh, voice recording number 58 um i can send it to you maybe um but um so it's just uh it's a a, a massive uh, <laughs> well, it, start, it, yes, starts, project.
1: it starts with an idea. And then what Josh did in a brilliant way was he selected a drum track that I had submitted to him. And then he affected the sound of the drum set and quantized it and used it to fortify what was happening with Janet's cello ideas. So when I first heard the piece in one of the rough forms, I was hearing it for the first time. It wasn't as though I was playing to something that Janet had created. I just offered up a drum track, and then it was used to accompany what what Janet was doing. So in a way, when I listen to what Josh has done, I'm hearing it for the first time. It's almost like a child on Christmas morning opening a package and being surprised by what's inside the package. That's interesting.
3: Well, but then Victor did take that and he played over the whole thing live.
1: Right. That was the next phase of it. But yeah. the initial phase,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I was just submitting tracks and then they would come back and then I would respond to that with a little direction that maybe Janet or, or Josh would give me.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, it's a very collaborative process that we've we've come across here. And it's it's not a traditional way of music making. It's, it's really of the modern age and uh, especially what's happening now with the plague where a lot of music is being transmitted back and forth mm-hmm. through through the internet where we're not in the same room playing together which is something that janet and i have done on, on past recordings but that's why i'm so excited about this new approach is that i don't really know what is happening until i i finally hear something and
2: it has what? to be exciting like instead of you know like normally i feel like if you're in the studio and you're like working on a song in the studio or even just a rehearsal space or something, you know, you're you're obviously there in real time for the progression. And, you you know, you you kind of know, I would assume what every beat's going to be, every place you're going to hit, every fill and stuff. Whereas now you're going in like you said like a kid on Christmas, like you're not 100 percent sure yet. You know, I, I think right. that, that's pretty cool.
3: It's cool, you know, it's making me nostalgic for the uh, the studio, so maybe our next album will be back upstairs <laughs> at the pasta.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's nice that we have this, these different abilities and, and uh, we can record in, in all kinds of different fashions that we don't have to feel locked into one thing or another. You have options. And, right. And as a, as a musician, as an engineer, as a producer, um, as a performer on stage, all these all these things are, are very intuitive in, in a certain sense, but also we're always trying to come up with something in the end result that makes us happy and, and we feel jazzed about. It's not as though we're setting out and, and we're going to do this particular idea and that's what it's going to be, even though we have done it in the past. But in this new way of working, so much more is left up to chance and arrangement after the fact, which which is something very uh, new and different for us. But it's very exciting to work that way.
2: Mm-hmm. We've uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, obviously cello and drums being like the the two big instruments in a nineteen thirteen. But outside of cello and drums, like what instruments do both of you play? Cello. <laughs> Just cello? <laughs> All
1: cello? No, Janet also plays uh, key bass, and she plays other keyboards and does some singing. Um, in our recordings, I've played some keyboards. I've also done other percussion. Of course, uh, singing uh, comes into play and, and some of the material. And I don't know, de- depending on, on what it's called for, we usually figure out a way of how to play it or we get someone else in to play it. Uh, Janet, in a way, has kind of laid down the law that there'll be no guitar in 1913.
3: <laughs> yeah, because of my my guitar
2: trauma. <laughs> it's just too hard. We can, cannot see right. that six string on stage. It's too right. much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I you know what though? To be honest as a listener, I I actually don't think I'm against that. I think I think so far you've been okay without without guitar. So I I don't I don't think you're uh, like lacking anything without it.
3: And thank you. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: But, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that comes across.
3: Yeah, I mean I have all sorts of instruments and we you know we can play Victor's a multi-instrumentalist and I guess I am too. Oh, uh, We're both also visual
1: artists. Um, yeah, we create all the packaging for our, our CDs. And Janet's a very fine photographer. And I I really get into the idea of making watercolor montages, which some have been, been featured on some of the packaging of our records. But we're oriented uh, not only in a visual way, but of course, also in a, in a sonic way. I love how in yeah, house
2: again how everything is, like even even down to like artwork and stuff. Like it it is very much Victor and Janet. By like all means the two of you are like nineteen thirteen, like in every definition, basically.
3: Yeah, he's nineteen and I'm thirteen.
2: <laughs> it's all explained it now. Out,
3: you know <laughs> if anyone wants to go to the website, we spell it out.
2: That is right. Yeah, <laughs> if you want the name. Is it in all caps or am I am I making that No, up? not
3: no no.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of times we'll print it up that way, but sometimes it doesn't come up that way.
3: Computers read that as all different words. Each it reads it as an abbreviation.
0: Yeah, that's Um, so.
3: Yeah, it's caused a little challenge sometimes, even with Facebook that way. But yeah, um, we we just um, we'll take it any any which way. But um, (laughs) you know, our, our website and for advertisement purposes is all spelled out.
2: Uh, you know, I want to, I do want to uh, jump real quick to Victor because I know, you know, we're talking 1913 and also in a couple days here, actually, if you're listening to the radio show, I believe today it comes out. So for one, happy release day to you in the few, from the, from the past. Uh, the, the, uh, the night crickets record comes out on the 21st. The 21st. Okay. So actually, yes, when the radio shows out, uh, that will be when the, uh. When the episode's on the radio show, so I guess from the past, happy happy record release day to you. Um, Thank if you're, you. If you're listening to this on Friday, so I just want to talk about Night Crickets for a second with you, um, because last time we talked, I remember it was still under wraps. I remember you mentioning you had something neat coming up that uh, you couldn't discuss yet. I believe this is what it was, and uh, I'm very excited for it. I'm really enjoying it. So, like, let's talk about that real quick. Like Night Crickets, how did this? How did this band get formed? If you want to talk about it for a second, let people know about your uh, other project that you're doing right now.
1: Sure. Um, in the year 2013, I was back with Violent Femmes for a few shows, and we played a couple weekends at the Coachella Festival in in California. And backstage at the show, I met this fellow named Darwin Miners. And Darwin is a multi-instrumentalist and also a manager of David J. David J. is the bass player who people might know from Bauhaus and Love and Rockets. And we struck up a friendship. And then about a year ago, this past holiday season, Darwin gave me a call and he wanted to know if I could create some drum tracks for him so he could write some music to the drum tracks. And I said, sure, I could do that, but I also expanded on the idea and i said what if i i do what you suggested but also why don't you see if maybe david j would like to lend his talents either playing bass or writing text or playing other instruments in the recordings and we decided that this might be a fun thing to do and, and david was contacted and he was into the idea and so we just started creating stuff and sending the tracks back and forth via the internet. Uh, Of course, very much the the style of what a lot of people have been doing during the plague here. And, and it just turned out where we had a six song collection that we were very, very proud of. And at that point in time, I decided that I was going to take a chance and try and find a, uh, a record deal for the, the six song EP. So I contacted this woman, Cheryl Pawalski, who is uh, uh, one of the uh, chief uh, people in the Omnivore Recording Company. And I sent the uh, tracks to her with the idea that she was just going to give a listen and, and see what she thought. So I sent the tracks to her on a Monday. She got back to me on a Wednesday and offered us a licensing deal. So, so that was the fastest turnaround I've ever had <laughs> with any record company or record company executive, and it, it helped too that Cheryl is from Milwaukee, and was of course uh, a fan of Violent Femmes, so she knew my previous work. But, but I instructed her that this is something totally different, and she came back with with real enthusiasm, and she played it for her staff. Everybody really liked it. So we decided that we were going to put out a six song EP. But then what happened was Darwin and David and I were so happy about what we had done with the six song EP that we decided we would keep going. And we came up with another seven songs. And at that point in time, I said to Cheryl, Hey, listen, this is really developing into a full length record. Can we still work out a deal like this? And she said, yes just keep writing and let let me hear what you come up with so when i finally presented the the finished uh, 13 songs she was very excited about it and we turned the ep at that point into uh, the full-length record that is going to be coming out and what, what's really fun about the recording is um, darwin david and i recorded most of the material by ourselves but there are special guests and the biggest special guest on the record is Janet Janet's playing nice. cello and also she's playing uh keyboards and also does uh, electronically affected background
2: vocals on one of the pieces so she definitely is the fourth cricket nice so we got some night we got some 1913 on the new night crickets then we got the whole band actually on the new night crickets right. 19 crickets 19 Cricket. I I love it. Had you, I mean, had you ever, uh, because I was wondering that, I mean, obviously the Violent Femmes and Bauhaus and Love and Rockets, all of them kind of being of that, like around that same era. Had you ever, had you ever crossed paths with David J, like back in the day at all? No,
1: I I never
2: had. And to tell you the honest to God truth, I
1: wasn't really that familiar with any of the Bauhaus or the Love and Rockets material other than a couple of the hits that they, they each had. So it was all a brand new experience for me. And I really love the fact that uh, uh, David plays a fretless bass, too. So that's that's right in the world of the cello, almost, <laughs> in, in that regard, that there are no frets involved. But I, I really like what David did with his bass playing to my drums. And the material was created in a similar fashion to what we were just talking about as far as the new 1913 material. In that i would send drum tracks and then those two guys would add their additions and then send them back to me and then we would keep just ping-ponging back and forth until we came up with something that we decided was more or less finished so that that was another uh, fun experiment to be part of and i'd have to say overall with the exception of maybe one time on one particular piece where i had added some background vocals and the other guys didn't think they were appropriate that everything that we did back and forth was readily accepted. So so it was really nice to be involved with people that didn't really belabor what was happening. Everybody was excited to hear what was coming back. Um, and it's, it's just a very healthy working relationship. And and it's an it's another it's another trio that I'm, I'm really proud to be a, a part of.
2: I think I think to your credit too that I, I have to give you. I mean the new the new album sounds great. The fact that I mean the three of you are are like doing it basically remotely, not not being just kind of sending ideas back and forth. Like you know, yeah, you're doing a little bit in Milwaukee, but like you know, like with nineteen thirteen, you two can be in the same room together. Whereas with this one, with it being probably really really remote, like really just sending stuff back together the songs and ideas sound fully realized. Like it's not, cause sometimes people will do that. And like, you know, if you, if you aren't getting along, or you're not conveying ideas and stuff together. Sometimes it can sound like it was recorded separately from, you know, like in different places with this one. I don't feel that at all. Like if you didn't know that this record, I mean, I could have, you all could have been in the same studio together. You can't, yeah, you can't it, tell.
1: It, yeah. It really does have a cohesive quality. And also I think what adds, to that quality on my uh, behalf is that when I'm recording drum tracks, I'm recording by myself. And the setup that I have is pretty much a very old time approach in that I'm going for a performance. I'm not able to punch in and fix something. So what I have to do is a recording that has a start, a middle and an end. And what I mean by that is that it's a complete performance rendered by myself. It's not aided by studio trickery. I can't punch in and I can't fix particular parts that I'm not happy with. I have to complete a full performance. And I think that really adds to the cohesive quality. And I think the same application was applied to what Darwin and David were doing. We're trying to infuse life and Um, how would I say, just just a real pure interaction that you would have if musicians were indeed in the room together playing. And as you mentioned, that's not always an easy thing to accomplish. Sometimes it it sounds like it's pasted together. But I'm glad that you're getting that feeling that it it really does have a, a band feel to it, like we're playing together
2: live. Oh, it it absolutely does. And I mean, also, like, you know, I I wanted to ask, too, like, being being so far away and stuff, I know I know this album just came out and you probably have no like future plans right now. But like, is this something you you see continuing, like working on things or do you is this more of like kind of just a fun project that the three of you kind of did, like maybe more of like a one and done?
1: Well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned to the other guys, I said, I'm already getting ideas about new material. And and funnily enough, they they said that they were also getting those ideas. So I imagine <laughs> it's going sign. to, yeah, I think it's going to progress into the recording realm again. And also, I don't uh, I don't really uh, think that it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe we'll play some live shows at some point in time. I know David has com- some commitments with Bauhaus, and I certainly have commitments with 1913. But uh, what I've discovered is if the magic of scheduling works, anything is possible.
2: I like that. And also like, to be honest, I think you, you do, you know, there, there is that, that side of it, which, I mean, again, like, like we said, the, you know, 1913 is on this record, the whole band. And I think as far as hearing like night cricket songs live, I feel like you could get a kind of that kind of in a way, like when 1913 where like those songs, have a bigger life than just what's on, you know, the recording. So it's like, I feel like I could see you really like being able to improvise on things and add on to things. And like, I could see that again, just like with 1913 being more than just going and seeing a rock band who plays, you know, the same 18 song, you know, the same 18 songs set every night. Like I feel like that could be something different every time you play basically.
1: Oh, sh- oh sure. Because recordings are frozen moments in time, but when you're playing live, you can use that as the groundwork, those recordings. But of course, if if you're doing the job properly, I think you're breathing new life into the structures. And also there's a little bit of danger involved, keeping yourself a little bit in jeopardy and open to the idea of improvising. So that's something that's always been a hallmark of, of anything that I've done, whether it's been in theater or whether it's been in music. I, I really try to keep a little bit of myself in jeopardy so I don't I don't really feel as though I'm a robot just uh acting out some kind of a preconceived notion.
2: I like that. It means it's live. Like that's the whole that's the whole fun of live, really, I feel like, like no matter what you're talking about, like doing it in the moment and not having a chance to do over, or like, you know, like it's all just right there. Like whatever you do whatever you perform whatever you're adding on like it is all it is all in that which i guess also i mean like for both of you like with improvising and doing these different things live i feel like there probably has to be somewhat like an acceptance of something not screwing up but like i i feel like you have to have that like be like be willing to maybe play the wrong note or or something you know what i mean like something to go wrong because again like You're making room for that. You're not just playing it straight to like what was recorded. There is room for error and stuff. And I think you almost have to be like you know what I mean? Like you almost have to be on your tippy toes or like be really be alert when you play that way.
1: Well, if you're if you're aware and you're reacting to what's going on around you, sometimes those inopportune moments, which some people might call mistakes, can lead to some better understanding or or a different form of expression that you never expected. Uh, I think it was Miles Davis said that, well, if you make a mistake once, do it again and it'll become a part. I like so, that. So 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 I, I, I really I, I come from that that background of theater, of course, and and certainly that is something held supreme, that you have to be able to react to the moment and look into the eyes of the other people that you're working with on stage, and and be open to to accept what is being given to you, and not just uh, try and uh, push what you're feeling on the others. It, it's a give and take situation. It,
2: it can't just be a dictatorial exercise. I like hearing about that stuff. It's it's interesting hearing from the uh, musician standpoint. It, again, including someone who wants to do it live and improvise and do things where you can go see them and it's uh it 's different every time it 's like it 's interesting to get that perspective i also like I want to get your perspective as well as people are listening to new nineteen thirteen and new night crickets i mean y- your drumming is all over the place right now this month people can uh people can hear you play the drums all over, and I want to ask you like differing like how did how did your drum style like how did you have to change things up when it came to recording new 1913 versus the new night crickets like do you feel like you had to change your style up much like like what differed between the two
1: well i think i think the result of that is is borne out when we play live for these two projects the recording process as we alluded to before is completely different in that a lot of times I'm just submitting drum tracks that I have recorded on my own, just for my own amusement. So then it's up to the other musicians that are involved to take those tracks and do something with them musically. So I'm not really responding to what's happening unless when the tracks come back to me, I'm, I'm superimposing other parts but the 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 backbone, the foundation of what I'm giving them, is something that I've created on my own. So in that regard, uh, it's not like a normal playing situation. It's
2: more of uh, a recording
1: exercise.
2: that That's interesting. It's it's now, I guess on the other hand, are is there anything that you kind of you feel like you used, you know, kind of like a tired and true, style trick whatever it is that that you applied for both bands you know like just something in your drumming that for both it, it was kind of the same
1: well i i think there's two things that i hold true and that is i have to represent time and i also have to be aware of of information that's coming at me so then I can respond. And this of course is in the live performance. But as I just described, this particular project and the 1913 project really is quite different for me. It's more drawing on my experience as a drummer and as a recording engineer and as a producer. So when I play live, I'm really concentrating on just being a drummer or a percussionist um, in these recording adventures. I'm, I'm working uh, with other systems. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a, uh, an interpretive artist.
2: And I think we talked about this a little bit last time. I know we talked like more about like just you getting into recording and everything like that, but like, was it was it right away you were into the like the side of that where you're where you're doing it like wearing all those hats like were you were you into that right away like now you sound i feel like there's some enthusiasm to it, but like in the beginning was it more like just nerve wracking trying to do everything or do you did you kind of embrace that from the get go
1: it all came natural from the get go um on my instagram a few days ago I posted a picture of my first tape recorder, which was a little AOWA reel-to-reel recorder that my father bought me when I was nine years old. And from that point on, I was really interested in the recording of sound. At first, I wasn't even thinking about music. I was just recording dialogue off the television. And as I progressed in my musical education, I started to figure out that sound has to come from somewhere somewhere and that is a recording studio or some kind of recording application. And the more I learned about that, the more I started to really dive into the idea of being an engineer, which led to the idea of being a producer. So it all kind of fell in naturally for me. But but at first, it was just a fascination with the uh, technical aspect of recording something. And then organizing those recordings, which that's what music is, organization of sound. So I I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm still learning about all that stuff. But at the same time, there certainly is a wealth of knowledge behind me now that I can draw from. But I I think that some of the best performances I've I've given as far as a a drummer, percussionist, or, or just as a musician in general come from not knowing what I'm going to do. And it's almost as though you you call upon the instruments to play themselves.
2: That's interesting. I mean, it kind of, that's kind of like, uh, you know, Janet, I know earlier you were talking about, like, I I think you said, sometimes you wake up and just will have, like, a song idea in your head.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always... I just always feel like that's going to be a good day too. Um, <laughs> you know, Victor is such a pleasure to work with cuz he's so open, right? Um, and he's um just so creative, right? So if if we like the sound, like we figured out one of his chairs has a cool string sound, you know, we we'll, we'll, we'll incorporate that into a recording. Yeah, um you know it's at the studio here uh, at the past office and you know like he's just so open-minded that um, it, nothing nothing's really impossible We used um I I was standing in a, a friend of mine's attic and she had some cool wind chimes and it really surprised me that Victor was, Actually, this is maybe when we first started recording together. The Victor was um, willing to use one of my sound recordings, um, my field recordings, in and it became um, like a ghost track in one of our songs. There's the um, I forgot which one, but there's a, there's a, a wind chime that's going. It's really beautiful. Um, and so that's when I realized that he's continuously changing and growing and learning. He's watching videos all the time. He's reading books all the time. He, you know, it's just like um, Victor is an expert on many things, including the Beatles.
1: Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I <laughs> think, but i'm I'm certainly interested in a number of different things and when you were just saying that Janet I was thinking to another experiment that I think was very successful for us which was uh, one particular time I was at Janet's apartment and she was playing me some recordings of her grandmother and there was this particular recording of her playing summertime the Gershwin piece and it was just a a fraction of a recording where there was a a solo that Janet's grandmother was playing. And I said, Janet, I love that solo and I love the sound of the organ that she was playing on. And I said, why don't we at some point, why don't we build the beginning of the song and the end of the song and we'll incorporate that live recording of your grandmother
3: from 1968
1: from 1968. So, so that's exactly what we did And and we created that in the studio. And then the final touch was we had our late friend, Rob Wasserman play acoustic bass on the track, which helped to really tie it all together. And it's an incredible version of that famous song. But through this recording, janet got to play with her grandmother which i thought was a fantastic thing that's so neat
3: she died right before i um you know invented my cello (laughs) so um but um i've always tried to um you know i guess communicate with um my ancestry uh of music and um just if it gave me a real sense of um, uh, collaboration through the through the the sphere, you know, through the atmosphere, to uh, meet with my grandmother, give her a cool band. I mean, with Rob Wasserman, I gave her two rock stars. Okay, <laughs> Rob Wasserman <laughs> and Victor DiLorenzo. Lorenzo. <laughs> All right, I gave my grandma a band in whatever year that was 2013 I think. That um, that was a challenging year yeah. for us in other ways as we celebrated when my cello became 100. Right. <laughs> you know, we had a lot of gigs from that. It was yeah. cool cuz you know, we ha- well, you always need a little catch sometimes, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Uh, but that was a really fun, mm-hmm. a, as a producer and as an engineer, that was just a great experiment that I'm happy to say turned out wonderfully. Uh, so if you get a chance to listen to that, our, our version of Summertime, it also features a singer by the name of Manya. Uh, she she sings the lead vocal. And one of the interesting things about the recording of her vocal was she only did one take, and we didn't even fix one line. She did one take live, and that is what you hear on that recording. Nice. So, so the combination of Rob Wasserman, J- Janet's grandmother recorded in 1968, this woman Manya singing one take, and then Janet and I providing all the other instrumentation. It's just a magic recording. It's right. it's really something.
3: And we can thank our friend Steve Hamilton for that.
1: Steve Hamilton was the engineer mm-hmm. who uh, has a a place called the Sausage Factory here in Milwaukee,
3: making sausage music. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, and his. His slogan is, if you have to ask, you don't want to know. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, he's got that gold foil,
0: though,
3: you know. Oh, that um, is great. But he he really set that whole scene up with all these recordings. Um, yeah, he, and- he
2: made our, he, he took our, our
1: ideas and made them flesh.
2: That's so neat. And like. I wanna to ask too, like Janet, we were kind of talking about like your uh, like field recordings and stuff and how those like kind of come into play with uh 1913. And Victor, I wanna ask you, like do you feel like and I, I I kind of I mean I like I kind of have an idea, but I want to ask the person who, you know, is doing it, like do you feel like it's more the musician side of you or the producer engineer side of you that can do things like Like, because that's what I feel so interesting. Like you hear things, whether it be like the sound of a chair and go, we can make this into like that, that thing where these unconventional like things that, that someone else may not go, well, that's music or that goes in there. Like, do you feel like that part of you is more the musical side and going, you find like, you know, oh, this thing's rhythmic or something. Or do you think that's more the producer engineer of you going, wow, how can I manipulate this sound to make it into like something totally different?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is fed by my experience as an actor and and working in different theatrical settings where you're working with other actors on stage and your responsibility is not only to those people on stage with you, but also to the person or persons that wrote the text, the director, the producer, uh, who's ever doing the sound design, who's doing the lights, all those things incorporate together, hopefully successfully to make a performance so I don't really separate any of that in that my training has allowed me to understand that you don't always know what the end result is going to be. And until you start to draw a bead on it, there's no sense in trying to steer it anyway. It's, it's better to let things appear as though something is coming at you out of a mist or a fog. And, and it, the closer it gets to you, the clearer it gets until you can finally recognize what it is that's being presented to you so there is a little a bit of magic i think involved and also uh, a deep understanding that there's a soulful aspect of of human beings that that cannot be denied you have to be able to not only follow your heart but also construct things using the emotions that you sometimes feel and can recognize and other times just going on a whim of fancy where you're, you're not really certain where you are and some of those times I find to be the most exhilarating and exciting and the payoff is really wonderful if, if you allow it to happen
2: I think I mean that it makes sense like what you're saying because just again like you talking about like the way The way that, like, you know, these songs come together and just even as a listener, like, all the layers of different things and stuff, you have to have an open mind, I feel like, if you're in 1913. I mean, it kind of goes for, like, both of you. Like, you got to kind of have that open mind and be willing to do things. Again, they're a little unconventional because if you didn't, there's no way you some of these ideas would come into play. Like, that whole song you're just talking about, like, you know, like, with Janet, like, with your grandma and stuff, like, that is such a like you have to be willing to take a chance to try to put something like that together because it's not just a straight hey I got three chords and some words you know it's a whole like another way of uh of doing it it's just very Well I was
1: I was very impressed by the sound of the organ that grandma's playing and also the fact that she's playing the solo that I really liked and and I just presented it to janet and and we kicked the idea around a little bit and it took maybe about a year or so before we we started to address it in a real world way but i i love stuff like that i i I like creating things out of nothing that that is something that's always appealed to me but at the same time i can also Work with a given text or or a song structure that Janet comes up with.
3: Well, in that case, let me just add this. Um, with that summertime, so it was um, this, there was a pitch problem, remember? So the organ solo was not an A440. <laughs> oh, it was no. It was sharp. And so this is uh this is something we all had to <laughs> Rob Wasserman had to tighten up those strings. I had to tighten up my cello strings. The vocalist had to tighten up her vocal cords, you know, and um, you know, I think the drums stayed in tune, but that was about <laughs> it, right. Uh, so that was another challenge of that recording that is very little it not very obvious. We'll say it's a subtle. Uh, thing that you know, no one would really notice except we know what we had to do to get it. Yeah,
2: happening. we had to address that to make it musical. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely gonna have to. We're gonna have to put summertime at the uh, end of this episode for sure because I I think it's so like the build up for people who haven't heard it, like it sounds so interesting, and to hear this final product, like it's great to hear like how you have put this together and all the different places it comes from, and to actually hear it, will definitely. Uh, We'll definitely play that at the, uh, at the end of this episode. I, I myself, I haven't heard the song yet, and I can tell you as a listener, I'm really excited to hear it myself. Thanks.
1: Yeah, it's really a, a,
2: a magical
1: track in that we overcame all these different hazards and, and complications to create something that was really paying homage to what a beautiful song Gershwin wrote. And I, I love our interpretation of it. And, and to think that the whole idea stemmed from someone that had already passed on, I think, is, is another aspect of 1913 where there is a spirituality involved in what we do, which not only manifests itself in improvisation, but also I think the spirit of, of Janet and I together when, when, we, when we embark on all these different 1913 endeavors.
2: Yeah, that's that's uh. I mean, again, it's great. Like, I love I love talking about because like anytime I have guests on, I like I like discussing how songs are written and how like each band is kind of different. But like, you know, just also being from so many, ba- you know, talking to so many bands like from like punk and alternative and a lot more straightforward. Like, it's just so interesting, you know. Like, I've never and that's why I also think like that that uh, I think your work as a producer and engineer also shines through because again, like. I I think uh, as well with all the like other things, but like I think it shines through because not everyone has a mind. Like not everyone thinks that way. Not everyone approaches music the way that uh, you two do in 1913. And uh, I think like talking about breaking it down, I think you appreciate it more. Like listening to songs, you go, oh, yeah, like that's not just, you know, this real like again, like just the same thing you hear every time you ask someone. So how's a song get written? I mean, even, even that, that's what's fascinating.
1: I think that's what's fascinating by, uh, with music in general, in that you don't really know the backstory unless you talk to someone about it. And, and that is, for me, especially during this time of the plague, I've really come to love YouTube, where I'm discovering all these incredible interviews with musicians, painters, actors, producers, engineers. A lot of stuff that I never even knew existed. Now you can access that in your living room and you can learn from it. and i and I've really made a point in the in the past year and a half of of really trying to understand so many things that I've always had questions about. And YouTube has certainly supplied me with a lot of uh, food for thought, that's for certain.
2: Oh, I, I love that about it. I mean, I, I, I always say, like, the biggest perk, I think, of even just having the show, I just get to talk to musicians that I like and just pick your brain. I mean, like, right now I'm doing it with you two. Like, I'm just picking your brains on things. Like, hey, like, That's right. what about this? What about that? Like, it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great, like, thing to discuss. And, like, it is. Some things Some things are similar from musician to musician. And then, again, like, other other things are so totally different and so totally left field. Like, I would have never – like but before talking about uh your writing process in 1913 I would have never guessed probably like any of it honestly and you're right you have to ask because you wouldn't know unless you ask that's right but uh you know as we're as we're kind of getting like towards the end here musical influences and stuff we talked about and like you know you talking about like your your acting background being an influence for you what are a few other things that that you think non musically that influence both of you, like just that make you want to create, it influences you, inspires you to make music, yet maybe has nothing even to do with music?
3: Well, Victor brought up I'm a photographer, and so I think, you know, visual art is really important to me. I love, you know, here I am, oh, well, I want to play cello in an art museum, because I do, Um, but okay, so back, because I want to look at art, and make music right i want to look at nature i hike a lot i swim um these things all calm me down too and in order for me to access that part of my life that can create music you know because it's a real sensory thing for me um and my experiences uh can inspire um music too so um just in in general, just um, sounds sounds all sounds are music, right? Art is music, right? Music is art too,
2: right? Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, also <laughs> going going with your music, that makes total sense. Because again, going to that like those unconventional sounds and different things that you derive different. You know, like you hear in nineteen thirteen, but aren't aren't conventional sounds or come from conventional things and uh that totally makes sense that that would be like within within all of that your love for nature and photography and hiking hiking's another great one i feel like that's one of the best ways to uh clear your mind and you know think of ideas and all that so uh yeah those are those are all like really good things to kind of get your like creative juices flowing outside of just like music itself but like how about you victor like non non-musical things are, are there anything whether it be hobby or whatever in this world that that like inspires and influences your music i like to find out how things work and that that can take on a number of different
1: applications whether it's a piece of music whether it's the background of a sculptor whether uh you're finding out why a particular design of a car was ever achieved but i'd have to say within the past four years two of my biggest influences have been two grandchildren that i have and i'd have to say that many times i wonder while looking with them caring for them playing with them one of the most fascinating things to me is to trying to figure out i wonder what they're thinking right now when we're doing this and what kind of relationship do i have to my childhood when I see them doing things that I did when I was their age. And there is a, a, such an incredible mystery involved there that I'm, I'm continually excited and dumbfounded and confronted by all kinds of different feelings when I, when I care for those children. And I, I really think that they're almost above and beyond any kind of art for me right now i i get something from them that i don't get anywhere else
2: that's amazing that's that's really uh i don't know That's really sweet it's really cool is uh i mean it's also, true also it's... too like do you feel like because like you have you have too i think musically like we're doing music as long as you have i feel like you're still open to new ideas and doing new things like not totally different like you were just talking about like youthful wonderment and like the great unknown and, and just do it. Things are new. Things are fresh. Like, do you feel like you kind of feed off that as well? Cause again, like you, you're up for doing new things. You're not trying to like sit on like, Hey, you know, I've, I've been playing music for this long and I've always done the same thing. Like, do you feel like that's helped you continue to just keep things fresh, do things differently, not just, you know, get stale with your music?
1: Well, I think you hit on it. You said the great unknown, which was funny. That's the title of a song I wrote a long time ago. But I'm I'm fascinated by the unknown. And I feel as though I'm always drawn towards it in a very mystical and spiritual way. One of my biggest influences is the music and and the personage of of John Coltrane, is someone who's very influential in my life. Because I started out when I I was getting serious about the drums, uh, studying with a, a famous jazz drummer who was in the city where I grew up, Racine, Wisconsin. And his name was Joe Police. And he turned me on to the beauty of jazz music, and in particular, the artistry of playing brushes in a jazz format. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking of all these things that in my, are in my past, but are leading me on a path to the future. And even though I understand what the past is for the most part, the future is wide open and I don't want to put any kind of a governor on it. I want to leave it uh in the ethers so to speak so I can discover it as I'm going through it.
2: Looking, you know, looking towards the future and everything with uh you know new night cricket's new 1913 is there anything else that you've uh, been working on lately creatively?
1: No, I find that those two things have been taking up most of my time and right now I'm moving into uh the world again of 1913 now that the night cricket stuff is on its way um and and janet and i are really starting to to think about the the conception and the the formation of the the rest of the album we have uh, the single of course but as far as what the other tracks are going to be i don't i don't know right now and, and i don't think either myself or janet or josh really knows where it's going to take us but i'm i'm really excited in the in knowing that once we get there i think we're we're the three of us are going to be very proud of what we've come up with
3: yeah josh is extracting some really neat harmonics that he found um from victor's drum tracks that the normal ear cannot hear (laughs) it (laughs) takes these special programs to extract um you know, I'm really proud. I just was accepted um, a video project um, uh, a, is of 18,000 photographs um, that I took um, since the pandemic was Jeez. declared. Uh, so yeah, so 18,000 photographs are in an exhibit um, coming up uh, next week, for, running for. Well, two. they're all
1: showcased in, a, in one video,
3: right? Yeah, it's all in one video wow. um, and it's also accompanied by over 220 cellos um, wow. and so i touched on it before so the uh the arts world is geared a lot towards visual art and so i titled this piece music is art and i had to make the video in order to submit my music basically um, but the video is well received, apparently, because it got into this—it um, got into this pretty prestigious show in Milwaukee. It's my first video submission. It's my first visual art submission. To <laughs> I'm
2: really excited. Yeah. That is really so, yeah, cool. We're,
3: we're just—and you know, Victor—I was Victor's learning this today too. Um, you know, so we're just surprising each other, and we have our creativity. We're going to keep—we uh, always come back to um to collaborate
2: i love it i i love uh talking to you both you're both very you stay busy i mean i outside <laughs> of and again i love that like you know, were talking about 1913 but like both of you have many other things going on and uh again it's kind of that it kind of even the great unknown thing i think you have to have that to continue doing to, including if that was your first uh video submission everything like again just doing doing different things and keeping it fresh i think i think as a listener you can tell when people do that and uh i i can tell you it is uh greatly appreciated because it comes out genuine you know the music comes out more genuine that way yeah we're not waiting for the future we're creating it i love that i love that that is that is perfect so i mean closing closing up here where can people i'll put you on the spot where can people find 1913 where can they find night crickets where can they find both of you? Like, like if people want to go find the music, stay connected with you both, where can they go find you online?
3: Okay. Well, we, you know, we're in all the social platforms. Um, be careful of the imposters. I'm trying to get them to go away. But um, 1913 spelled out. Um, we're 1913 with the numbers sometimes <laughs> with 1913MKE for Twitter and Instagram. So... Um, And then, of course, in 1913.com, we don't have anything on our schedule except for um, the releases right now. We're just going to wait and see what's going on, whether it's safe to perform or not.
1: But uh, the website
3: is up and current.
1: Nice. as far as the nice. night as far as the night crickets are concerned you can go to omnivore recordings and you can order the new music there and also there's a, a quite a, a lengthy description about the formation of the group and also about the individuals. Um, we also have a 1913 Twitter account. Or excuse me, <laughs> yep. Night Crickets. See, they're kind of interchangeable in a way. <laughs> the Night Crickets um, has a, a web. Excuse me, not a website yet. We have a Twitter Twitter uh, presence there, but uh, I think more things are going to be developed in the future as far as videos and and what have you. But but right now we're just concentrating on the record, which I guess. Came out today
2: yeah if you're listening to the if you're listening to the podcast they'll be out friday this comes out monday if you're listening to the podcast it'll be out friday but if you're listening to the radio show that bad boy is out you can you can go order it literally while you're listening to this you can get on your phone and order that thing right now which i highly recommend because it is great please do please do and yeah i mean happy again from the past happy happy release day in the future to you but, uh, yeah, I mean, listening to this, we will uh, we'll play some 1913. We'll play some uh, night crickets and stuff. Uh, anything else either of you would like to add as we close this out? Well, I like that idea of
1: featuring uh, cello and drums forever in your broadcast. We will do that also, first. Yeah, and also you can uh, – of course, try and dig up that that version
2: of Summertime. I, I think.
3: could send you send them to you if you'd like. Yeah,
2: yeah. we uh, we have the single, which we'll play here. Uh, we will actually kick everything off with, but uh, and that's another one. Any anything else to add for? Uh, I mean, what is what has already become on just a few listens one of my favorite nineteen thirteen songs. But cello and drums forever. Anything else to add to that song? Uh, we
3: just we mean it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love it. I love the, the title oh, and.
3: Cello and drums forever, <laughs> or
2: else. <laughs> and that's a threat. <laughs> All right. Well, then. I mean, this is this has been great talking to uh, Janet and Victor of 1913 Milwaukee's Finest. We're gonna play one right now, which you've you've never heard this song, and I think you're really gonna like it right now. Here is cello and drums forever dot, 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 or else (laughs) right here on the Power Chord Hour.
0: If you will, a free society where the empty horses can run wild and ad hoc without fear of variance, variance of concern. is between Juliet and the Thimble and Oumuamua is visiting from a galaxy far, far away. A free society. A free society. And the frail pagans can be at peace In the house of hate. A free society A free society A free society, A free society. Down the trace of and the dark watchers, lust vigilantes, Oscuros are listening, 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 listening to night crickets. A free society. Society. The Free Society. The Free Society.
2: Right here on the Power Court Hour podcast, that was Night Crickets with a Free Society, which their record of Free Society is coming out this Friday, January twenty first. Make sure you go check that out. I mean, you have members of Violent Femmes, Bauhaus, and Love and Rockets. I mean, amazing, and it's really—I got to say—I've heard the whole record. I will tell you, it is so so good. And uh, just like Victor, Victor uh, mentioned, though, it's like it doesn't particularly sound like what you would think. It would sound like, like when you hear those bands, like, you know, like I just mentioned, but like, it's amazing, you know, it's not, it's not the conventional album from two like, you know, like, I mean, really like eighties alt rock legends, honestly. And, uh, but I like it cause it's so, it's so the opposite of what you would expect, but it's really, really good. And I feel like every song has its own personality. So like, I, I don't know, I really, I really enjoy it and I'm happy to hear that they're going to do more with it. Because, uh, you know, this this deserves to be more than just like a one-off project. So definitely make sure you go pick up Night Crickets, A Free Society. Before that, that was 1913 with Summertime, like we were talking about during the episode. Beautiful, beautiful song there. And uh, I, I think it's even cooler knowing the backstory. You know, after you know that, you kind of appreciate the song even more. And opening up that block of music... You, I mean, if you're listening to this when the episode comes out, you're amongst the first to hear a brand new 1913 song. That is Cello and Drums Forever. That is going to be out next week on January 28th. Make sure you go pick that up and uh, support 1913. Great, great band. I want to thank uh, Janet. I want to thank Victor. It was great having them both on. It. it uh, I got to tell you. Very happy Victor came on again, and uh, I mean, just after he was on in September, so I mean, it's been a few months, but not very long, so uh, I mean, including someone like that, I mean, just a damn legend, I mean, by all means, a uh, a legend, I, I love his music, whether it be Violent Femmes, whether it be 1913, whether it be Night Crickets, the uh, stuff that he did with Mo Tucker of the Velvet Underground back in the 90s, I mean, he's done solo stuff that's great. There's uh there's a lot of music to dig through and uh, Victor's just a a talent. I mean even outside of music just a talent with, you know, acting. We didn't funny enough we didn't get to it again and I and I thought we were going to get to it this time but just, you know, we get on we get on talking about other things but uh you know, Victor also had a a radio stint there for a while early on in his career and uh, I've always wanted to talk to him more about uh his days in radio. But uh at, at next time, uh appearance three, we will we will finally talk about it. But uh I'm sure you'll hear both of them again. I I had an absolute blast talking to Janet and uh Victor, and I'm sure that's not the last that you'll hear from them on the show. And make sure you go pick up all that music. Nineteen thirteen, night crickets. I will uh I'll put links in the description of this here podcast so you can get to everything real easy. But uh yeah, a good way a good way to start off 2022 because I got to say I always complain that the first couple months of the year are there there's not a lot of new music. It's just it's kind of a it's kind of a dry spell there for the first few months. That's how it tends to be. But uh Victor DiLorenzo, Lorenzo not being a slacker. Um I mean, two bands already putting out new music in the first month of January within the first few weeks. So uh absolutely amazing and uh very happy to have uh someone like that continue to come on the show. And, uh, I mean, that, like things like that are what make it worthwhile. I'm like, damn, like there's hours of recorded audio of me talking to like Victor DiLorenzo. Like, I mean, I, the, the first, I mean, all the records are great, but like that first Violent Femmes record, one of the strongest debuts of all time. And like this, the, he played drums on it. Like, he's the one playing drums on it, you know? And, uh, but again, even outside of the Femmes, like, I, I just absolutely love the music that he does, and I feel like him and Janet are a, a great pair. And I really do think you can hear that 1913, uh, knowing now that Janet played on that Night Crickets record. I, I definitely think you can hear the uh, 1913 in that record. So. uh, Can't say enough good things about either. You just heard the songs. You know they're good, so uh, go check all that out. But that is going to be this episode. If you'd like to go follow us, we're at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us on – where else can you find us? Oh, man. Uh, On the radio every Friday night from uh, 10 to midnight on 107.9 WRFA and uh you can also listen online wrfalp.com you can go check it out there and uh we'll be playing this interview later on this week on there and uh same same thing i mean if you just heard this we'll be we'll be doing the same thing um i don't know that we'll be playing tons and tons of music we'll have to we'll have to see what time what a time constraint is maybe there'll be extra music on there but i don't know you you just heard the interview you're probably you probably don't need to listen to this week's radio show which uh is probably not the thing i should say you know you probably actually what am i saying go listen to all of this again on a friday night if you're if you're listening to this the week it came out but uh actually even if you don't, every every Friday night there's a there's a new power chord hour on uh on your radio dial. And we're turning six next month, which is uh crazy. So yeah, listen to that. Hit me up powercordhour at gmail.com. I have free power chord hour stickers, would love to send you some if you just want to talk music or whatever. Whatever it is, you gotta get a hold of me, hit me up there, powercordhour at gmail.com And, uh, yeah, I think that is it. I will tell you next week we are talking to Justin Vaughn of the band Low Morale out in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Just kind of up the – I always say up the road from here. I mean, Cleveland's about two and a half hours from Jamestown and uh, definitely a stomping ground for me for going to shows. And uh, me and Justin talked about that. But, uh, yeah, really good dude. His brother Bobby Vaughn from uh, the band The Promise Hero, which you might know, another great Cleveland band. And now Bobby's doing his solo stuff. But uh he's been on the show a few times throughout the years, and uh really good dude Justin's a really good dude too. I had such a fun time talking to him i I really did we uh and that's what I like about doing the show too is i gotta say like very very different style of music low morale like even that even that interview like tonight's you know what i mean talking about uh you know like with nineteen thirteen and night crickets like very different from uh the music that low morale makes, and uh you know a lot more talking a lot more of like Early 2000s late 90s like emo and pop punk so uh, you know definitely switching gears next week but I like that I like switching things up i uh, you know if you like one genre that's just boring you know you can't you can't like like one thing you gotta you gotta broaden those horizons so maybe I did that tonight you know what I mean maybe maybe uh you know I play I tend to play a lot more like punk and alternative and uh you know maybe something like this maybe I'm getting you into like some cello. Because cello is rad, and nineteen thirteen is actually like a good way into there because they they do fall under the alternative category. You know, maybe uh, maybe not super fast punk rock, but I mean definitely like alternative by uh, all means. And like they said, cello rock. You know, and uh, I love it. But yeah, tune in next week. I'm talking to Justin Vaughn, another really fun one. I actually recorded those uh, same day. We did those uh, Saturday night here. I, uh, I talked to 1913 in the evening, talked to Justin in, in, uh, at night, and uh, yeah, really good time. So tune back in next week for that. But until then, for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.